Dr. Matthew Castro here at Central Church in Kyreville, Tennessee. I'm the adult ministries pastor. You are listening to the Church and Politics Equip class. It meets on Wednesday night at 6.15 p.m. in room 235. You are listening to Lesson 8, How Can I Love Church Members with Different Politics? So I've been dealing with a cold, so I can't yell. If I yell, it will be horrible, and then it'll shut the whole thing down. <coughs> so... There's notes going around, and also there's a roster. If you're not on the roster, put your name and your, and your email address on the back, and we'll include you for next week, okay? Okay. I did not. It's too expensive. But I did watch it on TV, and I was very happy that they won. Anybody here an A&M fan? You kind of went like this. That's funny. Yes. But it's okay. We won, though. See, you've been a Tennessee fan as long as I have. You don't, you don't argue with how you won. You're just happy that you did win. Right? What'd you say? Exactly. Yes. If you need to take your wins and not care how you got them. No. Packers cannot be choosers. Um, are there any prayer requests? Any prayer requests? Anybody need a favor? Right here. Inside the building? Well, good luck. Yeah, we'll see. So we'll pray for Fall Fest. Anyone else? Israel. Israel, yeah, the whole issue going on. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This is your son? Yeah, he's sore, but nothing's broken. What's his name? Keith. Keith, okay. Anything else? Okay, let's pray and then we'll get started. Dear Lord, we just praise you for this day. Lord, I pray for my, my voice. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help me. And, and uh, Lord, I pray that I won't be too much of a distraction, Lord. And uh, Lord, we pray that uh, you would help us, Lord, to learn how to love those who um, may disagree with us on certain political issues, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we would um, be united under the, with the most important things, the primary thing, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord. May we care and love and pray for those who we have disagreements about different issues, Lord. Uh, Lord, we pray for, for Keith, for Dewey's son, Lord. We pray for him and his health, and thank you that he is, um, he is okay, that he is um, stable, Lord. But we do pray for him. Uh, Lord, we pray for Fall Fest and all the uh, preparations for that. Uh, pray, Lord, for the, the building, that it would be able to... Uh, contain all those people that you're definitely going to send, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that people would be ministered to and the gospel would go forth. We also pray for what's going on in Israel. Um, Lord, we thank you for uh, John Andrew's prayer on Sunday. Um, and Lord, we just pray, Lord, that um, justice is, is done, that truth would go out. Um, we pray, Lord, that people who are civilians, who uh, women and children and innocent people would get out of Gaza. 
um, and get to safety, Lord. Uh, we, Lord, we do pray that leaders would meet um, and that those who, are, who uh, did what they did would be held accountable. Um, but, Lord, that we do pray, Lord, that um, no more innocent lives would be, would be killed, Lord. We praise you. We thank you. Uh, we pray for tonight. And we thank you for the meal tonight as well. In Jesus' name, amen. I did. But you know what? The Claytons, the Claytons and uh, the Slum family was there the same time, and they did not get sick. But it's probably true. So I would give my, my voice for a Tennessee win. That's how much, how much, how desperate I am. Um, you see, you see, would you have done the same thing against Tulane on Friday night? Yeah. Yeah. Now, what was your reaction when that kid punched? Yeah. 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 But then there was a Tulane player that I'll show you a picture later. Of course. Yes. Of course. Yes. Yes. Did he do that before or after that? I do not know. You don't remember? I do not know. Okay. Right. Okie dokie. So we're going to kind of change gears a little bit. Um, we're kind of the midway point. And if this is your first time, this is a good week to come for your first time because we're actually going to talk about how we as the church, how do we stay united when there's different opinions about politics, or you have different people voting for different parties. Um, so how to love church members with different politics. This is an election. Well, we're about to enter into an election year. And so we're about to hear a lot of things. Uh, a lot of people are going to share their opinion. And most likely, you may hear someone's opinion like, I don't know, at a dinner table, um, maybe having coffee before church, um, maybe at the water cooler or the coffee station at work. People are going to start sharing their opinions about certain candidates, certain positions, certain issues, um, and how are we going to react. But most important, when it's a church member and they have a different opinion or they disagree with your candidate or political position, or who you vote for, or what party you vote for. Okay. See, that's where I draw the line. I mean, you just disfellowship altogether. I mean, there's just there's just no point. Right. When there's when there's hatred, there's hatred. Right. What are you supposed to do about it? So, I mean, yeah. Love people, but don't love Alabama fans. It's what I was taught growing up. So, I'm just, well, we'll move on. Um, we'll just start going downhill from there if we don't just move on. <laughs> you know, they're playing this week. Did you know that? Yeah. Oh, you did know that. Okay. Of course. Okie dokie. You know, we won last year, though. You remember that? Okay. Just making sure we remember the history. That was a fluke. Okay. I'll take flukes too, by the way. I have no problem with that. <laughs> um, 
So again, like, let me, this, let's just present a scenario. Maybe this is not too long ago for some of you. Um, go back to the time, or maybe it was recent, or maybe it was 2020 or 2016 or whenever the next one of the elections, maybe it was the last midterm election, when you were discussing either the election or something like that, and you were talking to a, someone who was here at Central, and they disagreed with you. Maybe it was about the 2020 election. And did the, did the election get taken away from Trump? Was it illegitimate? And someone said, no, I think it was legitimate. And you're like, no, I don't think it was illegitimate. How did you react to a, just that disagreement? What ends up happening when you have this disagreement, it, you, start to get, you start to get emotional, right? You start to get a bit angry, right? Um, and the question is why? You, this person you may have thought great things about. They're a nice person. You like how their hair is done. You like everything about them. You like the way they're dressed. And all of a sudden, you don't like them anymore. <laughs> what happened? You start to question everything about them all of a sudden. Your heart is affected by someone else's position on an issue. And your thought maybe is how can they be Christian and support that, right? Amen. <laughs> this is my point. Okay. One or, deal. Or you found out that they voted for, say, let's just present it. They voted for Joe Biden or they voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016, right? And your thought were, how can they call themselves a Christian and support that? Right? Maybe you didn't immediately think that, but you start to wonder and you start to, to think that. Bill, do you have a, a thought? Or are you just putting your hand up in the air? I would just put my hand up. Okay. <laughs> There's the roster. <laughs> so why do we feel angry towards fellow members uh, amongst, uh, in the midst of political disagreement or, or political differences. So I'm going to present three reasons. Okay, three reasons. Number one, justified people care about justice. Justified people care about justice. We've talked a lot about fundamentally what politics is. It's a matter of justice. It's a concern for justice. And if you're a Christian, you should care about justice, right? You mentioned abortion. Why do we care about abortion? Because it's, it's unjust, right? It's not right. It's unrighteous, right? And those who support it are supporting something that is unjust. Therefore, they are unjust. They're not right. And you start to, you get angry because God is angry against things that are unjust, right? We see this in Scripture. And Christians should care about justice. And it bothers you if it appears that someone else who claims to be a Christian is a part of the church, part of your church, and, they, and you, it appears to you that they are siding with injustice. It bothers you, right? You get, you get angry, um, let's think about a few issues that 
people would side differently than, from one another. Um, it would cause some stirring of anger that you see that as unjust. Uh, let me throw out one. The war in Iraq. Remember when the war in Iraq happened after 9-11? You know, we, ha- we went into Afghanistan like pretty much immediately after 9-11. But then it, almost a year went by. Then we went into Iraq. And then there was quite a lot of disagreement over going into Iraq. And why, if you supported that, why did you support it? Well, because Saddam Hussein supported terrorism and used chemical weapons on the Kurds. So they were supporting unjust acts. And to those who supported that, it was the just thing to do to judge that, right? But if you were, why would you be against it while you were concerned about civilian death potentially or soldiers put in harm's way and you saw that as unjust against those people as you can see like people are focusing on justice but yet looking at it from maybe different angles what about immigration a lot of disagreement on immigration let's just talk about the the border on the south let's say illegal yeah because it's all one big issue, right? Immigration. If you look, if you're if you're against amnesty or giving um, legal legal status to those who are aliens in the country, you would see that as unjust, right? They broke the law, right? And so what's happening is you're like, if you allow that to happen, you're supporting unjust acts, right? They broke the law. Why are we supporting and approving what is against the law? But you could view it from a different angle and say, well, what those people, the conditions that they're living in in, South, in Central America is so bad and they're under so much threat that they're coming to our country because they're trying to find haven and asylum. And so you may see that as unjust by not allowing them in. You see how people are, are they're focused on justice And that's why there's so much anger and animosity, depending on what side you're on on this issue, right? You have one, yeah. I was just going to say, a lot of times we have that white thinking. Like, on the border, there may be criminals coming across, and there may be people that desperately are seeking a a better life. Right. But we we tend to choose one or the other, and and there's no gray. Right. So we're going to talk a little bit later, like, all right, is that a straight line? Is it black and white? Or is it more like a jagged line, right? It's more complicated. So how do, we, how do we discuss, how do we have fellowship with one another if we disagree on some of these type of issues? So going back to justice, let me mention a few passages. Can somebody, I'm not going to read because I'm going to save my voice the best I can, but can someone read Genesis 9, 5 and 6? Can somebody read... Romans 13, 1 through 7. Can somebody read Proverbs 29, 4? Can somebody read 1 Kings 10, 9? And then can somebody read 2 Samuel 8, 15? So my Genesis 9 person. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. 
And the primary issue there is justice. If a man's blood is shed, justice is, is necessary, right? But that should be held accountable for that act, that evil act against God's image bearer, right? Somebody read the Romans 13 passage. Who's my Romans 13? 13, 1 through 7. 13, 1 through 7? Yeah. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but that. Do you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he, for he, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on your own words. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Proverbs 29.4 is my Proverbs person. <clears throat> By justice, the king builds up the land, and he who exacts gifts bears the ground. No, that's it. I think, yeah. First Kings ten nine. Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, He has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. Second Samuel eight fifteen. You see the common theme in all four of these passages, the importance of justice. Justice is an important thing. Government is instituted by God to establish justice for his cre- those that he's created in his own image. And so when we talk about politics online or at the Thanksgiving table, we're primarily talking about justice. When you actually talk about global warming, you're actually talking about justice. We don't maybe think of it that way, but that's why there's so much anger and so much like emotion behind your view because you hold it to be this is the just side. And so if you disagree, then therefore they're part of the unjust side. Since hence the... The, the emotion that's involved. So, um, so let's look at this from a even from a, a heart level and how we tend to view people. Uh, we intend, we get angry when we see people siding with injustice and not siding with justice. Um, even like um, it gets into even like the uh, welfare policies, right? You know, you wonder like how could someone hold that view? But again, they're holding that view because they think this is the just view. And then your view is the unjust view. Hence why they're so angry at you and vice versa, uh, potentially. 
So when someone's chosen a different side of an issue, you see them as choosing the unjust side, which is the opposite of a righteous judgment. Uh, Can somebody read James 2.18? So you start to question their faith when they side with the unjust side, in your opinion. Can somebody read James 2.18? But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. I will show you my faith by my works, right? So look at that. I, I've presented these kind of photo, these images for you. So faith creates deeds, and deeds give evidence of faith. Well, if someone's unjust views, that really doesn't display faith that much, does it? So it's not a big surprise that people start to question someone's faith if they hold to a particular political view that you see as unjust, right? Uh, Using a different term, you are justified by faith alone. You're justified in the eyes of God through Christ, which creates justice-seeking individuals and churches, and that displays someone who has been justified by God. Well, if they're siding with unjust things, then it... It's evidence of a someone who is not justified, right? So hence why you start to go, I don't know if that person's a Christian. They voted for a Democrat. How could a Christian vote for a Democrat? Do you know what they believe? They believe in unjust things. There's no way that person's justified by God. You see what you can, the kind of the stream of thought that you can kind of go down? It's quite easy. We've all done it because that's kind of how we think because we're using scriptures like this, right? Um, that doesn't mean like someone actually could not be a follower of Christ by their political positions, right? So I'm not saying that, you know, that there could be some major issues. And I think the abortion issue is a major one, right? I mean, that's a pretty huge clue. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. You, like, you, don't, you don't believe in the, the sanctity of life? How could you possibly be someone who worships God, who sent his son to die for us? To give us life, right? And you don't cherish life. So that is that's a huge issue, right? But as we'll keep talking, there are other political issues that are far more complicated and not as straight line as abortion is. I would say abortion is very much a straight line issue that is very much a black and white issue, right? Um, any questions so far on that one? I was just thinking sometimes you have one side that'll lean toward what we would call Christian viewpoint, but that same side could also hold on to things that are not, so it's, it's kind of hard to choose. Right, and we'll talk about, you know, that we live in a fallen world. We also live in a world where this, the Christian is justified by God, but yet still sinful. So therefore, our expectations on people need to be, needs to change. People like yourself are not perfect. Thank you. I know, right? You're exactly right. We're not perfect. We're not perfect people. We're not perfect people. Neither are people that we disagree with. So they could be wrong, but yet still be Christians. Their conscience needs to change through discipleship. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. 
look at Saul. He, he was on the wrong side there for a while. So God got He was. And we might be on the wrong side until God gets a hold of us. That's right. His spirit is coming in and let us know. Right. Right. Um, reason number two. The second reason that um, you may feel skeptical or angry towards a fellow member who disagrees with you politically. Self-justifying people are certain their convictions are just. We are tempted to scorn and second-guess our fellow church members whose politics disagree with ours because every one of us is naturally self-righteous and self-justifying and fallen politics is fueled by such self-righteousness and self-justification. We think we're always right, and we possibly, there's no way we could be wrong. And I wanted to, the, the, the important passage is the Matthew 7, 5 passage. Can somebody read that for us? When we're convinced that our cause is just and their cause is wrong, then we're self-justifying. We, we potentially may be self-justifying ourselves. And so this passage is important uh, to remember. Matthew 7, 5. You know this passage well. I'll have somebody read it. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So we don't need to be quick to be angry with someone uh, or, or frustrated with someone who disagrees with us. Um, because Christ had, is our means of justification, not being on the right side of every issue. Being on the right side of every issue does not justify you before the eyes of God, only Christ. So we can be a little bit more like not ready to fight all the time about every issue, right? Doesn't mean that they're right and you're wrong, but to, to be humble and to be slow to anger and quick to listen Somebody read the James 1, 19 through 20 passage, please. I kind of started, but I'll have you read it. Yeah, James 1, 19 through 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. There you go. So we live in a fallen world. We are justified through Christ. We do not have to attempt to justify ourselves by being right on every political issue out there. And therefore, we can be actually slow to speak, quick to listen, not be quick to be angry, right? We can listen. We can disagree in love. We can pray, um, think the best in people, um, and, uh, and realize that, as the Matthew 7 passage says, there may be a plank in our eye. Let's deal with that first. Let's focus on that first and not focus on the speck in the other person's eye. Any questions on that? Yes, ma'am. It's not a question, but it seems to me like self justifying people who are so certain their conditions are just are also full of pride. Yes. Right. 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 Uh, I'd like to say that it's okay to be angry as long as you don't act on anger, right? Right. Um, especially but if it's a, with a fellow Christian and they, and you may not be one of these people, 
So you may not be quick to anger. There are some people like when they find out that the other person disagrees with them or they have sided with an issue that you're clearly against, they are quick to get angry. They're quick to get a little emotional. They're quick to start thinking differently about the person. That's when it's, you've kind of crossed the line where you basically changed your view on a person based off one thing. And, uh, and that's what we're trying. Like, why do we tend to do that? And the issue is maybe we're, you know, we're, we, we see them as a part of an unjust side of an issue, and we're so quick to want to justify ourselves and show that we're the one that is right and prove that we're right. But for what end? Like what, what, why are we so quick to want to break fellowship with a person just to prove we're right? Right. But like Jesus was jealously angry, was 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 angry in a righteous way because people were doing ungodly things in the temple. Right. And they were shaming the name of God. There's a clear example when you see people doing things in God's name, but yet shaming God. Why you would want to be angry and show that anger. Right. So there are different issues, but I don't know if an issue like global warming if someone disagrees with you about global warming, is an issue that you need to like start to grab like a whip and just go to town on the person, right? Like I think that's maybe crossing that line, you know. So whips, yeah, yeah. Doesn't mean disagree. I mean, yeah, disagree with them. Show them, show them facts. You know, send them articles. Yes, do that, but do it in a in a in a godly way, in a way that is. You know, quick to listen and slow to speak and not quick to get angry. Right. I think it sounds like, you know, that we always talk about Arminianism, Calvinism. It's not something to divide over. Right. But it's okay to discuss. It is, it's you know, absolutely. It's fun to discuss the differences and talk about that. Yeah. And, like, just with the COVID stuff, the stuff that came out of that was so much shaming. Right. Christian shaming. Right. That was, well, if you love your brother, if you love your grandfather. Right. See the, just, the justice part. Yeah. Yeah. That we experienced, <laughs> and it was just so hateful, and it was yep. just like, it's freedom. Right. It's freedom. Like, we shouldn't divide over this. You right. Freedom. Right. And I think that's where it's like, people get so caught up. Yeah. And it's okay to go, hey, I don't think this is a biblical issue. Like, there's nowhere in scripture that says, this is how you should think about COVID. This well, is how you said, yeah, and I think that, that was, I think that was improper. Oh, yeah. And I think it's fine to go, you know what, brother, sister? This isn't a biblical issue. And honestly, I don't really want to talk about this. I think this is going to lead to us being like breaking fellowship. I think it's best if we just drop this issue and say that we have different views on this and maybe talk about another issue. Because it seems like you're getting a bit heated. And I don't really think this is the best thing for us as a Christian, like unity as, as being one in Christ. I think that's, I think that's actually okay to do. You know, when they talk to Jesus about like, trying to track Jesus in politics, <coughs> never, you know, he never got involved. Like, Look, give me a coin, like, right? Was, right, I feel that people who talk, in my opinion, talk about politics are kind of looking for a fight, right? They are, and it's like, ah, oh, I see where this is going, yeah, talk. exactly, yeah, yeah. You know, the same with people who try to say, well, that's not Christian. You know, if they were talking to somebody else, they'd probably say something else, but they're like, this person's a Christian, so I'm gonna try to. Feels like kind of like that whole dial bait and switch. Kind of become, you know, everything has to be a fight. You're like, 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a it's bait to pull you in, which is what the Pharisees were doing. They were throwing out bait to hopefully get him to catch, right? And Jesus is too was just too smart for that, right? Um, the third reason is political judgments require wisdom. Most political judgments and decisions we make depending on wisdom, not on directly applying explicit biblical principles. Uh, immigration is one of those. There, it really, I mean, there are some passages that you can use. Um, but in the end of the day, when it comes to, an ex, an, all right, what should the U.S. government do about the border with Mexico? Is there a verse in the Bible that tells us exactly what to do? There isn't. So what, and what, then what is required? Wisdom. It's wisdom. Because I think sometimes you can apply verses that might not say it directly. And I'll give an example of one as being good stewards. God calls us to be good stewards. So when we take, uh, I'm, I'm not arguing either side sure. here, but like, let's say we take taxpayer money and we're using it for that end, and somebody could have the idea, well, you know, biblically speaking, when I pay my taxes, I want to see it, you know, fruitful. Sure, but I can give you another passage that tells, that, tells Israel that, remember, you were once a slave and a refugee. Do make sure you treat those who are refugees the same way. So again, like, but again, that was to Israel. But again, like, I could throw it out. We could throw it out different. And you're not wrong. Yeah, you're not wrong. So that's what I'm saying. Like, it takes, it takes wisdom. Yeah, it takes wisdom. That's what I'm saying. It takes wisdom. And the problem is, I'm going to say this about all of us in this room. None of us have the wisdom of Solomon or Jesus. So... Many times, majority of the time, right, which we is don't have all the pieces of that puzzle, right? Because I just worked on the border last year, and and there were there was a lot I didn't know, right? But I mean, sometimes I mean, like, not to throw this out there, but like, what happened yesterday, right? There was a hospital that was blown up. Who was blamed? Who actually did it? Hamas. Who who didn't believe that? The, the Arab world. And a lot of media. You see, like, it's just, you know, it's, again, the wisdom is going to be now to be, is required. And we pray for wisdom for these leaders, right, in the midst of this. Um, so it, we, and therefore, if we, we shouldn't have the expectation that all of our fellow members here at Central Church have the wisdom of Solomon or the wisdom of Jesus when they go into the ballot box, Okay. Or when they have an opinion on Facebook or something like that. Um, We hope that people would grow in wisdom. We pray that we all would grow in wisdom. James said we should ask for wisdom, right? And not doubt that God would give it to us. We should ask for wisdom in political. Not not only to have wise decisions and thoughts, but also to respond and speak in wisdom on those particular issues. Um, Someone read the First Kings three twenty eight. You probably remember the story. Um, it's King Solomon. You remember the two mothers and the baby, right? And the issue was again justice, right? The mother, the, the one mother was. They were saying, you know, the 
the child was stolen from me, whatever, you know, and, and the other mother, no, this is my child. And he said, we'll cut it in half. And, you know, the other mother's like, no, 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 you know, just give it to her. And God, you know, the, the issue with justice and Solomon used wisdom to solve the problem. And so um, all the different political issues that are kind of in our kind of in the newspaper, online, the major issues that, I mean, let's just, since this is a church and politics class, we might as well have a little bit of fun. What do you think are going to be the main issues in the 2024 election? The border. The border. Okay. What else? The economy. The economy. The economy. Inflation. Let's say inflation, right? Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's going to be a major issue. Ukraine's going to be, it's going to have to be an issue in the Republican committee. Uh, Israel. But the Ukraine one will be interesting because the Republican candidates disagree on how much money should be sent to Ukraine or if any money at all should be sent to Ukraine, right? So even on that issue, like the Ukrainian war, how, what, the wisdom that will be needed to support or not support um, what's going on there. Uh, so all those different issues, you know, these are all big issues, and some of them we care about a lot, and we have particular views on them, and it's going to take wisdom to think about them well, but also to respond well to others who disagree. Yes, sir. Most of the time, we associate hate with wisdom. The, better, the longer the hate, the more the wisdom. Is that a true statement that most people have in there? Not a young person. Oh, I'm not the youngest person in the room. <laughs> it tensely is. It is. Right. I think we used to. Used to. I think we used to. Well, I mean, we still like presidents that are fairly, you know, have more wisdom. You know, I don't think I don't think anyone's going to get elected running at thirty six or thirty seven. So I think there's still a, a kind of a feel of security for those who are, you know, even the word elder. An elder is someone who has experience and wisdom. You know, um, shelf life on that now. <laughs> 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 I'm just saying, you have you know people that have been there where they they're having like strokes on you know medical things. Maybe I'm wrong. I'll stop. I think it comes down to how sanctified a person is. How much have they grown over their lifetime? If, uh, if you look in Second uh, Timothy, Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's saying, let no one despise your youth. That's and what he was talking about, Timothy was so far ahead of the other people in that room as far as knowledge of Christ and, and the gospel and everything. But he's telling him, just because you're the youngest person here doesn't mean that you're not the wisest person. Because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. So a man or a woman who may have age and experience, if they don't feel the Lord, they aren't wise biblically, right? Um, So, I mean, that's still, I mean, Timothy was wise for his years. He was a man who feared the Lord and followed and modeled his life off of Paul, who was a wise man. Um, well, you also have to look at the uh, example of Christ preaching in the temple as a teenager. 
All right. 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 And two, I think that can change culturally because I, I know I was in a class with people a lot younger than me, and one of them from Colombia was saying, in my country, you would be so highly respected, but she said, you being older in um, this country, you tend to look down on. We value youth in the West, and in the East, they value age, right? Um, so... Old people are protected, right? Isn't that like, uh, like sexism and things like that? You have ages on the workplace. Like, it's not. Uh, What's your question? Uh, you're just saying like people in the West don't respect the elders. They don't value. They, we value youth. Like in the workplace, right? Like ageism, that's like... Like seniority and... Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, we we say those things, but the, the, we have a value system. That's why even when you're, that's why you have like these celebrities who still want to be young. You know, like Tom Cruise is one of these men who, like, he doesn't act like a six-year-old. He acts like he's still in his twenties. He's still in his, he's in his sixties. He may not look it. But I bet you money, when he does like all that, all that stunts and stuff, I bet he feels it the next day, right? <laughs> the same with. I mean, I just you can't defy age. I mean, you may look it on a camera, but um, they say Father Time doesn't, you know, doesn't ever lose. Um, the sec, the next part is how can we love church members with different politics? Let me give you some recommendations. Um, I kind of talked about this already. Adjust your expectations. Um, I think this is, actually, I think this is probably like a really important discussion. Um, We are not in heaven yet. So if you thought we were, that would be horrible, wouldn't it? Because that's not what we thought, and nor is that what we were told. Um, and therefore, since we're not in heaven, the, the, our church gatherings, um, we're going to have Christians, yes, but we're going to have sinful people in our midst. Also, um, we hopefully have some diversity because the gospel goes to all nations, to all people, to all tongues, and to all political positions, too, by the way. So um, the gospel goes to liberals and to people who have had abortions. And we hope that those people are saved and come into the church, right? And that they're discipled and cared for. And they may actually still have some political positions from their former life as they grow in wisdom and recalibrate their conscience according to the Spirit. That takes time, right? We hope we run into some people that do maybe disagree with us on some things. That should be expected, actually. I think it's bad if everyone in the church actually agreed on everything. Then maybe that our church isn't diverse enough. Maybe that says some things about our church. Um, so we need to pray for the gospel to go forth. Yes. I've been playing tennis with a group of men for 23 years. What? The half of us are Christians, and the other half, probably are not Christians. Yeah. 
but we, we play tennis and we socialize together. Uh, we still love each other. Yes. But we are far apart, but East is from the West. Interesting. But we, we get along. We didn't do it for 23 years. Isn't that amazing? So, Wouldn't it be even better if those men became Christians? That's true. They were in the church. And they were in the school. Any of time or two. Oh, <laughs> so, that's uh, good. That's what I've lived for 23 years for a group of men that are so far apart politically that you couldn't expect it. But we still love each other. Yes. Enough to respect that's good. Thank you for that. We don't discuss politics, maybe food or tennis or other things, but that's how we've got the law for 23 years, and you can do it. That you can do it. You can do it. I love your term, recalibrate. Recalibrate, yeah. Yeah. Um, you think about the, the 12 disciples that Jesus selected. Have you ever looked at those guys? Talk about some unique political positions. You had Matthew, the tax collector, and then Simon, the zealot, who would have hated Matthew. Yet Jesus picks those individuals, and Judas Iscariot, most likely as well, was a you know, fundamentalist who was a part of that kind of zealot uh, group. But those disciples and what their political positions, there was a diversity amongst that 12 that had to have been interesting as they had conversations around campfires. Um, Matt, yes? Did you ever wonder why he chose them? Because he could see... The difference was going to be in their lives when they spent time with him. You spend time with Jesus, you'll never be the same. And there was a there, and what was what brought them together was Jesus and how Jesus recalibrated their views, how significant Christ was uh, to them. The second recommendation is recognize what a church is. Um, Christ designed the church to be a gathering of his followers from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so the church and our communities of former enemies learning to love one another, therefore it wouldn't be surprising to have a community of political rivals now joining together in worship, right? Those who used to maybe support Planned Parenthood, but then got saved, right? But still working out their issues and their views politically as they grow in Christ, right? We see in, in Ephesians chapter 2, 14 and 15, how the gospel makes the Jew and Gentile now dividing that wall of hostility and then making one new man in Christ. That is what the gospel does. It takes people with disagreements and then brings them together. And the only thing that unites them is Christ. It's not, well, they're all Republicans, since why they all love each other. No, it's because they love Jesus, right? And then Jesus in the gospel recalibrates our hearts so that we care about what the, the Bible cares about. And we, hold, we, we care about justice the way God cares about justice. Recommendation number three, recognize what unites a church and what belongs to the domain of Christian freedom. So what, what should unite a church? What should unite a church body? Yeah, thank you for the, the child answer, yes. The gospel for the more mature over here, yes, thank you. 
Um, yes. <laughs> but you take those donuts away, you find out <laughs> what, what was truly what uniting them, right? You're not completely wrong on that one. <laughs> Yeah, that excludes me because I don't eat donuts. See? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's not enough donuts for everybody, right? There's, yeah. Scripture. Yeah, Scripture, right? God's Word, um, the Gospel, Christ. So we have whole church issues. This could be fun to do. Um, and then Christian freedom issues. So whole church. What would you say is a whole church issue? Meaning that the whole church should be united behind. Salvation. Jesus Christ on the way to heaven. Yep. Salvation. This caused a... The Reformation. Um, for a church, like for one church, like a local church body, it's maybe a statement of faith, right? We as a church are members of this church, and we agree to this statement of faith, right? Anything else that you would add to that? Anything else? I don't know if there's a term for it, but like there's a lot of a lot of sin, minor sin issues that it's difficult to pinpoint like either whether it is a sin or what the consequence should be like. We're not gonna kick our kids out of the church because they disrespected their parents once. That's ridiculous. But if our head pastor murders somebody, we might have something to say about it as a church body. So maybe major sin issues. So one issue you could you could put on there is if a member of the church, let's just say it was Tinsley, <laughs> and he decided to say, you know, I know I'm happily married, but I'm now a gay man, right? What would be the consequence of that? This is how rumors start. No, no. <laughs> I'm say within this room. Somebody would come to speak to you. I know. That's right. Like, that's a... That's a whole church issue, right? It should be. Repent, 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 or you will be excommunicated from church. Yeah. So those, that, that would be an example. Right. But somehow, like, that, that distinguishing line between if he does that versus if he speeds five miles over the speed limit on his way to church right. one day. Like, right. There's, there's that line between, you know, Sin issues, the entire church congregation needs to be behind and backing and involved in versus that's more of a personal level right. issue. Right. And that's where the wisdom of right. dealing with those particular issues and, and others. What would be a Christian freedom issue? Drinking. Drinking, yeah. Dancing. Yes. <laughs> Not speaking from a Baptist background at all. <laughs> what else? Movies, games, culture, life, life, life. life. what you're wearing. 
Anyone else? You think I'm good? These are examples. Like drinking is one of those, right? Um, you can consciously think it's it's wrong, right? The issue is, is if you found that someone was drinking, should they be kicked out of the church? No. Cards. They went through the Baptist list, yeah. So, yeah, movies. Yeah, Halloween. So, another one would be would be like uh, school choice, right? Um, if you choose to homeschool your kids, or you send you send your kids to public schools, right? That's not something that you should break fellowship over, right? You may think the public school is god-awful, and why would anyone send their Christian kids there? You could hold that opinion. That's fine to hold the opinion. But if someone does that, you shouldn't break fellowship over that issue, right? Nor should they be kicked out of the church. Um, These are not binding on the conscience of the church member. And that would include, I would say, a vast majority of political issues. Um, it may be binding on some people, but you can't use it to bind other people. Right, right. It may be something that you have a conscience of. Like, you may believe alcohol is wrong, and no one should drink that stuff because you have an experience because your, your father was an alcoholic, your mother was an alcoholic, or maybe you struggled with, with, with drinking. And so you don't, yeah, but you're not putting it on anyone else, right? But there's wisdom, even with, with definitely with movies too. Like there's all that, that's why we go. These wisdom is how we deal with these, right? The other side of that is true. Also, the person that does drink shouldn't force it on the person that doesn't want to drink. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, political conversations are weighty conversations because we're dealing with what is just. But if we understand that a fellow Christian's view on a particular political issue should not remove them from membership, then we must practice love and forbearance. Um, it may be, it may not happen here at Central, but it wouldn't be crazy, especially amongst a younger generation, to hold to a different view on the Israel-Palestine issue. Not necessarily that it was right for what Hamas did, but that there should be like a two-state policy or something like that. While I don't hold to that position, it wouldn't be totally surprising for a, a Christian that's, I don't know, in college um, to hold to a position like that. While I disagree with them, and you, many of you in this room may disagree with them, it's not a binding on their conscience issue, right? So we should show forbearance and love, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't talk to them and discuss the issue with them. Or tax policies, or Ukraine, or any other of the political issues that we interact with and talk about, right? And a lot of times we should show love and forbearance on someone because it's a Christian freedom issue, not a whole church issue, most of the time. There are a few political issues that I would say are definitely probably in the whole church issue category. Sure. Palestine, Palestine, Israel issue. There's a lot of information on both camps, a lot of both camps. So especially if you're talking to somebody younger than you, please like talk to them with grace. 
it's, it's hard to find like realistic information out there. Sure. It's a lot of just craziness. Don't, don't just think that they're dumb. It's just hard to find stuff. Right? Well, there's a lot of people here, so. Well, you know, I wasn't around in the fifties and the sixties when Walter Conwright was 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 speaking, and yes, was doing well. But there's a lot of trust, right? You had basically one source of information, but there was a lot of trust from that source of information. Now you have unlimited amount of sources, and who do you trust from these different sources, right? Like Pastor Matt said Sunday in the sermon, he was saying that they have, um, there's so much propaganda, which they're yeah. all kind of saying the same thing, but we don't even know. When you go back to the 50s and people were there, I was raised in the newsroom. Walter Cronkite used to work for my dad. Let me tell you, they were as liberal back then mm-hmm. yeah, as they are now. Yeah, but nobody knew it. But it, yeah. my father, I remember well, sitting at the sure. dining room table and him saying, I just feel so sorry for the rest of the nation. They just don't know what we know right. who are in the news media. They were arrogant. So it hasn't changed. It's just that we don't have comparisons that we did. Now, there was no comparisons back there. Those Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, I provided a kind of a graphic. Um, so you see this as like straight line issues, biblical theological principles, straight line to the issue. For the f- Christian freedom issues, you see the jagged lines. It's just not so straight and simple. See, when you get into issues like immigration, uh, issues like foreign policy, issues like economic policy, welfare, uh, tax policies. Um, um, what are some other issues I'm thinking of? Um, it's just there's it's just it's done a straight line. What are you gonna global say? Warming. Yeah, global warming was the one I was trying to think of. It's Education it's policy. Climate change now. Yeah, so climate. they changed the name, trying to get more money for their little deal. Okay? But, but, but me. Being a Christian, I don't believe in all that. Because I believe in a God who holds the world in his hands and has the ocean. We talk about all the poor little oceans are going to wipe us out. That was 30 or 40 years ago. Sure. But I got my trust in God. He's put this thing in motion and he still got it. Right. And he knows the <coughs> volcanoes and tsunamis are coming. He's still over there. Right. And, and, and I think where we get even to this is the wisdom on how should humans steward resources. It takes wisdom, right? There are people who don't want to use any stewardship. I mean, we have history of this, right, where they killed all the buffaloes and all these things. Like, we have issues of this in the past. It takes wisdom, but there's not a lot of straight line, here's how you do it from a biblical principle, okay? It takes wisdom. And so we need to pray for it, you know. Um, and Pastor Matt, to your comment earlier about the anger thing, I personally have never been able to get the point of righteous anger like Jesus. Yeah. Me personally, but I do, you know, have young, I deal with young kids in high school. My kids, my kids themselves are in their 20s. John Andrew and Tinsley and, and Tim, you all have dealt with young kids. 
think that point of just the way we approach that, especially with our collegiate age kids, is very important. If we don't give them a chance to speak and to have a conversation and be willing to listen, you know, to the conversation before we start yelling at them about what we believe to be important, um, it shuts them down. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. And they are heading out of the churches in droves. You know, and, and many of them just want a chance to be heard. Yeah. You know, to speak. Right. And to have a dialogue. Right. So I think that anger piece would be really careful yeah. about holding our thoughts captive yep. and loving them first. Right. And hopefully they learn over time that even if they speak, doesn't mean they're right. Because, <laughs> you know, because, like, you have an opinion and it's not right. <laughs> but, like, you had to disciple them. Because, like, the fifth recommendation is to respect, even the even those who are younger, respect your brothers and sisters who have different calibrated conscience on jagged line judgments. Um, and some of their consciences need to grow and be calibrated according to the word of God, primarily. But also, this gets into, like, adults and discipleship and mentoring, but also in the context of the church. You know, um, yeah, if you get quickly, if you drop, if you drop the hammer <laughs> initially, you may never have that opportunity to grow them. But it doesn't mean that they're right. <laughs> you know, yeah, there is a mixture. I can refer my girls to Johnny Andrew or to Kinsley, you know, or someone from the youth ministry they grew up with. Yeah. Like, give them a call because they trust them. Right. And it's someone else for them to, to lean into if they have questions, and they will have questions. And it takes time. I mean, how many of you in this room, let's go back to your high school years and college years. Where were you on a lot of these issues? I'm just asking. Yeah, I know, but as, as Connie said right there, what did you just say earlier? I mean, like, people were liberal back then, too. Like, it's... Lot different in 1956. <laughs> Very few people were against each other at that point. Yeah. And then you see the So I think I think it's it's interesting though. Again, like let's like I said before, let's be let's be slow to self-justify. You know, we are all sinners in need of grace, right? Let's not. It's okay to say when I was I was stupid and young. <laughs> I mean, I was stupid and young. Who else was stupid and young? If you're not raising your hand, you're, cre- you're lying. I'm still stupid and young. I'm stupid and actually getting older. <laughs> yes. I want to say this to just agree with what you were saying. So I turned 70 in June, and when I was in my 20s, was 45 to 50 years ago, and it was the same thing. We didn't feel heard then. And out of all that is when the hippie movement was really huge and Woodstock and all of that, and a lot of that rebellion you saw then is exactly what you're talking about. Because no one wanted to hear anything that we had to say. When I was in my 20s, when you were growing up, there was a morality that was expected. There was a definite morality here. There is no morality. When I was growing up, there were things that were totally 
unacceptable. I mean, when I was in high school, a girl got pregnant. She couldn't stay in the school. She had to go someplace else until after the child was born. She could not stay there if she was pregnant. They would laugh you out of a place if you said suggested something like that. So we had moral standards. I mean, my father had extremely moral standards, but was definitely not a Christian. So right. I was raised with very, very, very strong moral values. But it was based on my having to work it out. Yeah. And so they they did go by there were a lot of Christian principles out there that were were expected, but it wasn't based upon having the power of the Holy Spirit. Right, right. And you did it even if you didn't agree with it. It was just a culture. Right, it was a culture. Right. I'm gonna we only have five more minutes. And so I wanted to mention, I wanted to read more passage. Can someone read Romans 14, 1 through 2? Accept him whose weak faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable manners. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The ESB says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Um, it, it goes back to the, the importance of it takes time for people to calibrate their conscience. And, and, and hopefully they come to a point of, of being more sound on some issues, right? And being more biblical on issues. But we as well, right? Just because we think we're right over here, maybe we also need to be calibrated according to the scriptures that may change our views and seeing things in a different way because God's led us that way, right? I'm not saying because some, someone like me has told you to go that way or some, some pastor or some you know, news anchor or politician. I'm not like God has led you that way. Um, yes, sir. I think James chapter 4, the first 12 verses, speaks strongly to this man thinking inside the church. Go ahead. Yes. It says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will free from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Thank you. 
Yes. Real quick comment. Yeah. We talked about being young and stupid, but we can be old and stupid. And, and it's an important point what, that she made about respecting somebody regardless of their age. Yes. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Let me say, um, welcome those who disagree with you as Christ has welcomed you. Second thing, don't look down on those who are stricter than you on a particular issue. And don't be judgmental towards those who have more freedom on a particular issue. And the last thing, the, the last recommendation is remember what's most important. Um, we, must care, we must care about justice. Um, and ultimately, where we see justice at its illustrated the, the most beautiful is the cross and the gospel. So let's prioritize the gospel. Um, if we do have disagreements, let's do it in a gospel way. Um, let, let, let's have a born-again political view. Um, may the gospel cleanse our political views. Not that they change them, but the way that we... we Treat others who disagree with us in a gospel way. And that doesn't mean you don't disagree with them. Um, I'm someone who, again, I studied politics in college. I enjoy politics. I enjoy talking about it. I have strong political positions on things. And, but, hey, I'm also a pastor. And if I were to find out that you disagree with me on a political issue and I just, like, blew up on you, that wouldn't make me a very good pastor at all. And so I have to be careful you know, what I hold on to tightly. And so hopefully that's encouraging to you. Next week, we're going to move in and talking about biblical manhood and womanhood and talking about a lot of these gender identity issues. So um, we're getting into some of the social, like identity politics stuff. Um, and so that, hopefully that will be helpful as we navigate those issues um, in the world today. So are there any questions? Yes. Thank you for listening to Lesson 8, How Can I Love Church Members with Different Politics at the Church and Politics class. If you want more information about Central Church, you can check us out at centralchurch.com and learn more about our ministries and our classes. And we hope to see you back.